This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. You also have to be very comfortable with the uncomfortable. You have to be willing to adapt or die. And in Facebook's case, when a new department or division or product comes up, they're really aggressively trying lots of different things. In general, I think they have like a a very focused and structured approach, but there's also like, hey, let's see how this works. Let's see how this lands. Be thoughtful about the data, look at the data, and then let that inform how we build the product. Good morning, good evening, hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. It is Thursday, the 16th of November, 2017. The date that we are recording this podcast, you're probably listening to it a few days later. Coming to you live or semi-live from downtown Sydney, Australia. I am the CEO of Manage Flitter, co-founder of Manage Flitter, soon to be Managed Social as well. As usual, I have my co-host with me, Kate Frappel, who is the design lead at Manage Flitter and Manage Social. But Kate's been in Canada for the last few months or so. She's uh, moved to, to Canada to, to have a work abroad. Lucky that uh, Kate's come back for a short stint, and I'm sitting with her in the, the It's a Monkey podcast uh, studio. So uh, uh, we haven't done an in-person podcast recording for a few months, Kate. Yes, coming up to nearly six months. It's gone really, really quickly. So, um, yeah, if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Uh, we talk about everything relating to tech, startups, political economy. Some of the topics we cover are blockchain, which we've covered a lot. And boy, has there been exciting activity in the Bitcoin and blockchain world over the last week. I don't think we're going to talk about it all that much on this week's podcast. But we cover all sorts of interesting uh, topics, Internet of Things, autonomous vehicles. Uh, We talk about how technology affects society. We start off the podcast with some news and then we go to a long-form interview. Today's long-form interview is Scott Smith, who's uh, VP of Sales at CloudApp. And I had a great chat with him about uh, Facebook, interestingly, because Scott used to work at Facebook, working on the team that... um, it's the workplace by Facebook, which is is kind of a Facebook for business mixed with Slack product. Yeah. And I had a great chat with him about Facebook, also about their app, Cloud App, and, and how that's going and, and customer acquisition and all sorts of interesting bits and pieces. So that's coming up later on in the show. But as usual, we, we tackle a couple of news items because it is, uh, our industry moves so fast that we like to give you a little bit of a taste of what's going on. Um, I learn myself by when we're looking at these news items so i hope it's interesting for you too twitter we're going to talk about twitter twitter's been in the news the last uh, 10 days or so lots of changes at twitter of course twitter's twitter since its founding has always been a little bit rock and roll it's been through probably three ceos three or four ceos share price has been all over the place i of course love twitter still my favorite social media network you know i loved it so much that built a company on top of it but it's definitely one of the more rock and roll social media platforms but over the last 10 days they've made some interesting changes one of which is they've doubled the tweet count the tweet character count from 140 to 280 that Semi came as a surprise. I know they said they were experimenting a few months ago, but overnight they just announced that it's happening today and boom, they rolled it out. I have to say, Kate, that it's, you know, it felt like it was a, it, it was a real paradigm shift and the world's never going to be the same, but life's pretty much gone on in the Twitter world, right? 
That's true. That's true. I think a lot of people were complaining and making really sort of funny, sarcastic jokes and forcefully making their tweets super long. But over time, I think as Twitter even said themselves, they did tests and people are actually naturally tweeting shorter. So they're already tweeting 140. So once the novelty wears off, people are going to go back to 140 anyway. Well, Dick Costello, who was the previous CEO at Twitter before Jack, who's now the CEO and he's the founder of Twitter, one of the founders, I remember specifically an interview with him when they questioned him, would you ever increase the tweet limit? And he he said, you know, never. It's sacrosanct. It's what makes Twitter special. It just shows you, you know, in life you really can never say never. It's, you know, life today, tomorrow, next week might be very different to life in two, three years. So you can really never say never. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I've been on Twitter since the very early days and I wish we could go back to Twitter before images even, you know. <laughs> I'm So change is – in a way it's like the place that you grow up is always going to have a special place in your heart and is always going to you know, really define the way that you see the world. And Twitter, for me, is a little bit like that. So for me, the 280, I don't particularly it's, – it's, it's made my tweet stream on TweetDeck more cluttered and it's more mm. difficult to scan, which what I really like about Twitter is that it moves really, really fast and you can scan a lot of tweets really quickly. And this has introduced a lot more content, making it – really difficult to scan and really difficult for me to just keep an eye on my tweet deck and see what's happening there. So um, for me, it hasn't really added value directly to the way that I consume the network, uh, the content on the network, but who knows going forward. Yeah, but in a way, it also makes sense. So Twitter sort of got built on the back of SMS messaging, which Mm -hmm. had limited characters as well. 160. Yes, yeah, 160 characters for SMS and then Twitter made it 140. People were, you know, that sort of Generation X got used to that, built around that. But now the new users, I guess, are more millennial users who grew up with Apple messaging and no restraints, lots of images, lots of emojis, and it's sort of it's moving in that direction. So in a way it's sort of helping Twitter move into the next phase. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, these products have to keep evolving, have to keep moving. I'm um, certainly, mm-hmm. they they definitely know their product more than, than I do, as much as I feel I do know their product very, very well. But it's it's definitely was a significant move because Twitter still is one of the dominant platforms. It still is dominant in politics, sports, celebrities, real-time news. So it was, yeah, it was an exciting change. They also rolled out at a very similar time that you can increase your character. Uh, you can you have up to 50 characters in your, not so much in your username, but in your username description, right? Yeah, so your display name is now 50 characters long, but your handle or your username, so with the at in front of it, is still mm-hmm. limited to 15. 15. Yeah. Why do you think they increased that? Not too sure. I mean, in Twitter's, when they sort of announced it, they said, oh, go ahead and fill in your middle name, add some extra emojis. So whether people's names are getting longer, I don't think so. But but then again, like, why would you do that if the handle's still shorter? Mm. You know, so it's not like you could, if you had a really long name and you want to include your middle name, wouldn't you want your username to be the same as your display name? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure about uh, why they increased the the length, and you can put emojis. Maybe it was the emoji thing. 
Maybe. I have seen um, people do interesting things with it. Some that sort of make jokes and – but others, you know, Madeline who does our Twitter chats, she has her name, mm. an emoji, and then sort of what she's known for. So she says podcasting, Twitter chats, and puts that next to her name. So maybe it's good for SEO. Yeah. Who knows? It's been interesting, interesting to see. I have to say I'm not an emoji person. No. No, I'm not an emoji person. Mm. It's, I love uh, them, but I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm an emoji person. I don't use them ridiculously, but I actually love the idea of them. What do you love about it? I think that they're just a really good – I guess another language and they communicate sentiment in text messages that you normally wouldn't get. Mm. So it alleviates um, a lot of miscommunication and a lack of understanding for some people. Yeah, I read – I actually did this whole – podcast I listened to and an article this guy wrote about how he submitted a um, the Lotus pose, which is on the new iOS, mm-hmm. um, to the emoji committee. Mm-hmm. So it's actually not Apple that decide and Android and Facebook. They all have to answer to the emoji committee. So the designs can differ a little bit, but anyone in the world can actually design and put forward their ideas for a new emoji. But there are some Apple emojis that don't work on Android because some of my friends who have Apples will text me something and it just comes through as nothing or a character mm. space. So I actually think that's because Android don't have that emoji. Right. But if the universal language might have, I don't know how many there is, but thousands and Android may only take a few hundred. Okay. In which case, the ones that are missing just show up blank or as so squares. Not, I, I thought it was like a, an Apple proprietary emoji not coming through. I don't think so. I think the designs are pro- proprietary, mm-hmm. as in like they all have their own little twist to them, but they have to abide by the emoji library, which is a separate but committee. But they're not proprietary in the sense of they created by Apple, and it's they don't they don't let um, Android access certain emojis, etc. No, not not that I could tell. No, which is why I found it interesting because another use case, so this guy did the whole process of submitting the lotus position. So it was like sort of communicates yoga and peace Mm. and all that sort of stuff. Another example was a a student and she had uh, like a Muslim background and so she put forward to put a girl with a hijab on Mm -hmm. and that got through the latest iOS as well. And she was just a student at at a university, I think. We uh, need to – I'm going to research this emoji, <laughs> this, <laughs> the emoji standards and the emoji um, committee and see what gets through and why I don't receive some from my, my friends. Not that I particularly care, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, again, maybe it's just an age thing and I just, you know, I grew up in the world of, of text and it, it's just it just somehow I, – I don't even know – Besides smiley faces and sad faces, I don't think I use them ever. Uh, I think if you had an if you had an iPhone, you'd use them more because you can use them. I'm I'm not sure about your phone, but in Apple, it's actually a language, so you can add like your English keyboard, German keyboard, emoji keyboard. And so on mine, I just have English and emoji keyboards, and I can access them. I can alternate between the two. I'm sure sh- I'm sure I can do something similar with Android. Yeah, um, I think it's good. I mean, some of them, some of the basic like smiley face emojis too, have communicated more. I think it's been around probably the last iOS that came out. But there's a, a it's a face and it's a thinking face, but it's got like the sort of the thinking hand on the chin. Uh-huh. I use that one all the time. 
but I never used to touch it. But it just communicates like, hmm, I wonder. I prefer to write asterisk thinking asterisks. Nah. <laughs> Emoji's much what like you are, clearer. What you're witnessing here is the generation <laughs> gap. <laughs> no, but actually older people, like much older people, also seem to really like emojis, right? Yes, some of them go I, crazy. Yeah, some of them go crazy because I think they don't like typing. So yeah. they just, you know, so uh, anyway, we, we'll look into that emojis. We'll chat about it next podcast. Another really interesting news story is that the FDA approved the first digital pill. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so it's basically a sensor the size of a grain of sand uh, inside a pill that the user can, well, somebody that needs it takes. And the sensor talks to a patch that the individual puts on their left rib cage, And then the patch talks to your phone through Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. So it can send information about like uh, when you took the pill, the dosage of the pill, and the patch itself also does a number of other things on the side, like it's activity tracker, step tracker, health checker, things like that. But the actual sensor itself goes through your body and just passes naturally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can it can provide you know whether it's probably just when you need to top up if you need to take another one. That's cool. I mean, sometimes also people forget when they've taken a pill or sometimes they even forget if they've taken a pill yeah so people who have to take daily medications and i think uh, i assume women who take the contraceptive pill might hit across this every now and then and they mm. use manual methods of you know little little uh, containers labeled days of the week and things like that but you, this way you could actually track when you took a pill and took it yeah and you can also inside the inside the app so this whole thing is called abilify my site and um, you can, as the, as the user, I can define how many people can view my information. So if it's a child, for example, they can share that data with four other people, so a doctor and their parents, for example. Interesting. So it's made of silicon, copper, and magnesium. An electrical signal is activated when the sensor comes into contact with stomach acid. The sensor then passes through the body naturally. I mean, the only thing downside about this is putting more crap into your body – as long as it passed, though, I think it would be fine. Only be if it got trapped inside your gizzard somewhere. Which is always a, a possibility. The patch also records activity levels, sleeping pattern steps taken, activity and heart rate must be replaced. every se- So that's the patch side of things. Mm. So you would also have to wear a patch all the time, which depending, like I have sensitive skin, so wearing that type of stuff and Band-Aids is always a bit of a pain. Interesting. Interesting. I still wish they'd put all this technology into food in my fridge so I would know what's in my fridge, mm. at what state of freshness it is, and get notifications about it. Yeah. It'd be handy. I, I feel not a pill, but I think there is an app that started to do that. Yeah, there was that, that TechCrunch hackathon that yeah. they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, but this pill is definitely interesting. And it's, I mean, I think of the next phase would be a, a, a pill that we swallow that you know, some nanotechnology that hangs out in our body. Yeah, potentially. This pill actually is for schizophrenia, bipolar, right. and is an add-on treatment for depression. So at this stage, mental health. Which is interesting because probably people with uh, severe mental health, regularity of taking pills and things like that it's is important. probably a challenge. And, it's, and people forget and or mm. double up or, and to have a, care, a carer be able to track what's going on. Yeah, invaluable. 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking of times friends were in hospital, particularly elder people, and the nurses regularly asking, have you taken your pills, mm. right? Yeah, they're really um, strict about that stuff. I've recently been in hospital visiting a family member and yeah, they were. It was only over paracetamol as well, but they were very like, "Why didn't you take your paracetamol? Yeah. It's in the system. We marked it in there." So it's like, I didn't feel like. So you can it. picture a nurse sitting <laughs> at a nurse's station, yeah. right, with a big screen, and almost getting exceptional events when when someone has either taken too many mm. or hasn't taken their pill. It pops up almost like a, a monitoring system of our of our of managed flitter when we get a notification something's wrong you know yeah you can investigate it even if they didn't even get alerted just change the data yeah for that patient said oh well they didn't take it so we better take that off make it correct very very interesting i wonder how what's the price of this are they are they expensive i'm not too sure actually and of course, there's privacy concerns as well. Where if it gets hacked, people can see what type of pills you're taking and when and how. But that's the price, you know. It's the price to pay. I mean, all our data, everything's out there the whole time. So, mm. yeah. put it on the blockchain. Put it on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> the blockchain is the answer to every question, <laughs> right? Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, that's uh, we'll put as usual. We'll put the show notes up. Um, on itsamonkey.com previous episodes are there as well we've had some great interviews about the blockchain and previous episodes we're going to take a short break and after the break we're going to talk to scott smith from cloud app he's the vice president of sales at cloud app and we had a great chat about his time working at facebook workplace at facebook the product which you probably even haven't heard of my guess is you haven't heard of um kate do you know anyone using that product no, I don't. I know we did discuss it. We have discussed here it. at one stage, yeah. Yeah. But we have discussed it. And I think I get some emails from Facebook every now and then trying to get them to prompt, prompt me to try it and to use it. But, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't um, – you don't hear much about it. So we're going to take a short break and then we'll uh, come back with my interview with Scott Smith. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Manage Flitter can help you quickly and cheaply build an organic following on Twitter? Let me explain in six easy steps. Step one, find new prospects on Twitter with Power Mode, Manage Flitter's advanced Twitter search feature. Step two, easily filter and sort results to find the most relevant Twitter accounts for you to follow. Step three, Follow these Twitter accounts using Manage Flitter's simple interface. Step four, unfollow accounts that do not follow you back within 14 days. Step five, watch your Twitter follower numbers grow as high quality accounts follow you back. Step six, rinse and repeat to maintain consistent organic Twitter account growth. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO and co-founder of Manage Flitter. We talk about everything relating to tech, entrepreneurship, the whole online world, remote work, etc., etc. And one of the themes that we have... uh, on the podcast is remote work and productivity and the like. And we're always talking about new products and new tools and new ways of doing things more efficiently. 
And Kate actually passed me on some details of an interesting product that actually helps with uh, the sort of productivity and especially remote work. It's called Cloud App, and I'm happy to say I've got the VP of Sales from from the Bay Area, San Francisco, Scott Smith, at the end of my Skype line. Scott, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, before we get into the whole uh, cloud app side of things and what it does and uh, how it can help people, particularly remote workers, but everyone, I was interested to see on your bio that you've done, you did quite a bit of work at Facebook, first as head of mobile platform partnerships and uh, then sales manager of Workplace by Facebook. Now, Workplace by Facebook, a lot of people haven't heard about, but it's for lack of a better word, it's for lack of a better way of describing it, it's it's kind of like Slack, but a Facebook version. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, a, an appropriate comparison. I think the easiest way to visualize it is a private, secure Facebook just for your business. So literally, the newsfeed, the messaging, all without the ads. Um, including the profiles. So basically just a place for you to chat in groups, messenger, and then post things about what you're working on. So I think one of the reasons people are so interested in Facebook, particularly entrepreneurs and uh, people that build businesses or manage businesses or work in high growth companies is they seem to have done so much right. They've seemed to, they've seemed to have made it look so easy from the outside right and anyone that's worked in a startup or a company or even a corporate company knows how how difficult growing managing and uh, maintaining companies are so what what was it like on the inside i'm sure it was a lot messier on the inside than it actually looks from the outside yeah great question so i think one of the the greatest advantages of working in a place like facebook is that it really attracts really intelligent highly motivated great to work with people. The, the teams that you're building around you are those that they really care about what they're doing, they really care about um, what they're building, and they really want it to be something that's impactful and useful and that you know a lot of people are gonna use. So I think that really guides the company. And then I think from an executive perspective, what's unique about Mark Zuckerberg is that he's so thoughtful and visionary about how he wants the world to be able to communicate and he builds products that sometimes they might initially seem you know, like they're off the mark, but very quickly people realize that it was entirely the right idea. And how does Facebook internally deal with criticism? There's a lot of criticism we're ranging from, where, whether it's privacy issues or whether it's that Facebook copies its competitors and often does a lot better job. I saw a, gra- a graphic yesterday of Snapchat versus Instagram stories. Wow, it's just where Instagram stories is just a vertical growth and Snapchat is just flattening. So they, they're definitely good at capitalizing on opportunities. Is there a lot of debate inside the company around some of these more contentious areas about the product or about things like privacy and freedom of speech, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, basically, the reason that the workplace product that we talked about before came out was essentially because Facebook wanted to have, you know, avenues and conduits for people to share their opinions more broadly than within their teams and their business groups. So Facebook at Work initially built Workplace to help people share those ideas, really get support and rally behind them, and then also just allow people to have divergent and different perspectives. So yeah, I think as far as handling criticism. I think in general, they do it really well, just like any other company. Sometimes it can be a bit slow, but for the most part, everyone is very aware of what's being said. They're always trying to figure out like the, the best and right response um, and to do that in a way that 
when you have 2 billion users, you have to be very thoughtful. So I think that's, that's a really important part of, of their kind of approaches. Initially, internally, heavily discussing just about everything. I think a good example of that is uh, they had a product last couple of years ago, essentially, you know, talked about emergencies and high stress, almost terrorism like uh, situations. And it was being used relatively infrequently. It had this feature basically said that you were marked as safe. Mm -hmm. And internally, more people wanted to be able to use this with events that were happening locally and and regionally. It was heavily discussed and then it was implemented more broadly to help create this kind of safety net where people could say they were safe and that that arose out of that internal conversation. And I have to say, Sheryl Sandberg, I've, I've read her book, her latest book, Option B, I think it's called. And uh, she's just such a smart woman. I mean, wow, what a, what a sharp, articulate person she is. What an asset to the company she is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually remember when I was working for uh, one of the first startups I was, I was at, and I happened to read her book. And I was, frankly, like enthralled. I was really enthusiastic about what she had to say and her approach to managing a family as well as a business and her intensity in which she, like she always talks about leaning forward and making yourself heard and recognized. And I think everyone needs to kind of think, think through the things in the same way. And I think what's interesting about the option B is that, you know, we all have these really terrible situations that happen in our lives and we can choose what we're going to do about it. And this is a great book that reflects that kind of optimism and how to you know, think about how to handle those things. Even the simplicity of just reducing it down to, if you don't have option A, just kick the shit out of option B. I mean, just just that alone is just such a useful metaphor. And uh, anyone that's been in you know, on the entrepreneurial journey or, or been in a startup just knows that uh, there's you, you have to confront a lot of option Bs along, <laughs> along your path, whether it's... Um, certain products not landing up the way they should be or technical issues or, you know, PR disasters or whatever it is, right? There's a lot of option Bs you just got to try and optimize. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think it's great that she, she kind of conveys that vulnerability, that idea that even at the best company in the world, one of the best companies in the world, and even as a, and a leader and an innovator that seems so thoughtful and on top of everything, there's still challenges that for her, it's like she's got to fight through and defeat, you know, and that's something that everyone can kind of get behind. But at the same time, she's got a humility around her extreme privilege as well, which I really like as well. So she, she talks a lot about how, how much worse it could be if she, she wasn't so fortunate in terms of her wealth and uh, her, her social standing, etc. But um, Scott, tell us about the workplace product. The reason, I mean, what is the reason why we haven't heard of it so much? Is it just that Facebook's actually pitching it to the enterprise and us in the, the, the small tech startups don't come across it? Or is it they just incubating it a little bit? I mean, it, it gets almost no talk. No, I mean, in the very early days, I remember we spoke a little bit about it on the podcast and we were quite excited about it. And then it's just it's sort of seems to have fizzled, at least from a consumer's yeah, I, th- I think like there's tools that you can just self sign up for and try out of the box, which is more akin to how Facebook has traditionally thought through how to build a product and, and get it into the hands of users. With Facebook at work, they sort of went a different way initially, which was let's go to some of the best and brightest companies. Let's let them know that we're building this interesting product. Let's get their feedback incorporated into the building process. And let's be kind of quiet about it for a while until we feel like it's something that's been incubated in a way that's, that's really good. And I think and to contrast that, today, for example, you know, there's an article in CNBC 
highlighting you know, an integration with both Salesforce and Quip that Facebook has just gotten behind. I think they're actually taking it very slowly and very methodically, mm-hmm. and they're thinking through it like an enterprise business rather than maybe a consumer or B2C business, which is let's get it in the hands of users, let's see how they feel right away. And in this case, they're doing more of like a, a slow methodical rollout. It'll be really interesting to see if they can crack the enterprise market. I mean, I can't think off the top of my head companies that have managed to cross over so effectively. I'm sure they are. Maybe Microsoft is one of them that I can just think of initially that's managed to get the consumer and the enterprise. But it's they're vastly different animals that, that even in the DNA of your company would, would just have to be so different. Picture Facebook being this fast-growing consumer tech company versus the enter- enterprise sales where the sales cycle is just so terribly slow and tedious. And um, But if anyone can do it, they can, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I think like they, they've done a, a couple things really well, particularly with respect to how they're building this business. So it, one of them, for example, is their VP, uh, Julian Cornio. He used to be at Microsoft. He's got a you know long tenure in the enterprise space, and he helped build this kind of from the ground up. And as he's done that, he's hired people from Box and Microsoft and Google Cloud and, and a handful of more enterprise companies. So which is really interesting because like if you look at the DNA of a lot of those folks elsewhere at Facebook, they're, they're not, they don't have that background. They don't have that enterprise focus. It's not something that most Facebook employees, I think, are comfortable with. But with Julian's team, the team that he's built at Workplace, it's very enterprise focused. It's slow, you know, slower, longer sales cycles. Obviously, they do have that focus on kind of like a consumerization of IT, you know, building a product that people really love and care about. But yeah, it's, it's a different business. It's much slower. It's, you know, there's a lot a lot of different things that you have to think about and that can definitely go wrong while you're doing that. Do you know if it's on record if Facebook has ever tried to buy Slack? I don't know if it's on record and I I don't know at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, fair fair enough. Well, it's one thing I've always been so impressed by Facebook as as a sort of product focused CEO is the confidence they've had in iterating their product has just been absolutely second to none. And um, when, when you're a product owner, and you see this a little bit maybe with some other products, whether it be Snapchat or Twitter, where when something's working, at least to some degree, it takes a huge amount of confidence to just keep on going, making these left turns, iterating, because you, you don't want to lose your success to date. You don't want to make things worse um, in, the, in, in the attempt to make things better, to improve things. And Facebook have just, have, have just continued to just iterate and move forward confidently and for the most part has made things a lot better yeah i mean i would also add that um just probably like any other fast-growing highly innovative likely to to change rapidly environment you also have to be very comfortable with the uncomfortable you have to be willing to adapt or die and in facebook's case when a new department or division or product comes up they're really aggressively trying lots of different things. In general, I think they have like a a very focused and structured approach, but there's also like, hey, let's see how this works. Let's see how this lands. Be thoughtful about the data. Look at the data and then let that inform how we build the product. Yeah. Uh, And and of course, the share price is reflective of all of this. It's 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 been i think it peaked at 186 dollars so the market is is loving all of this so it'd be interesting to i think and and this is definitely not financial advice but i certainly think facebook's got a a long way to go but anyway let's let's get on to uh, after after facebook you're involved with this i assume we can call it still a startup cloud app tell us tell us a little bit about uh 
cloud app, the motivation for it, what problem is it solving, and um, you know where are you guys at with it all? So it's actually kind of interesting. So the, the way that I got into Facebook was actually through the acquisition of a smaller company called Parse. Uh-huh. And uh, Parse was basically a product that helped you build mobile apps. Right. Really great product, very developer focused. And uh, the CEO of that company was an investor in this small startup cloud app. And uh, the previous company, the Parse that I was working at, the VP of sales or chief revenue officer, uh, Kyle York, uh, also an investor in this company. So I'd been working at Facebook for a while post that Parse acquisition. And they basically both had reached out to me and said, hey, we, we have this company. It's in its formative stages. It's less than you know 10 people. It, it has some really great customers. We need some help thinking through how to go to market. And, uh, you know, I, when I talk with them about the product and basically what the product is, is a, it's a simple and easy way to capture what you see on your screen and then share that with somebody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you mentioned Slack before. I think there's this movement where not everyone wants to spend time face to face on a call in a web conference, actually talking on a Skype. They want to get their work done. They want to do things asynchronously. And uh, what CloudUp allows you to do is just capture a video, a GIF, an image, and then mark it up and share it. So it could be a bug report that has a nice video in it. It could be a sales pitch that has a demo in it. And you can watch and you can consume at your leisure. So that's kind of the product. And that's how you know, we came about. And uh, we've been at it for you know, a couple of years now. And we have great customers, companies like Zendesk and Atlassian um, and a handful of other very small startups. So basically, we're trying to serve people who are building product and, and trying to do that as fast as they can and to do that with as much context as they can. You know, it's really tough to communicate. So it's specifically uh, targeted for people that are building product. Yeah, I would say that um, initially it was very much focused on product managers, engineers, and developers. And you would see that in the initial companies that signed up and bought, you know, this product. So we have the CEOs of Atlassian and Foursquare and a handful of others that use the product to help build their companies. And then as a result of this, this really interesting tool that helps you communicate visually, we've also happened to get users that are on support teams and sales teams. I should say customer support people are trying to explain things and resolve tickets faster. So if they have like a video or an image or a GIF in that ticket, that ticket gets responded to faster or closed faster. So it's, it's been one of these things where we started with an audience of engineering, product and development, and it's expanded into other departments that include you know, support, sales, marketing. Everyone that wants to be able to create visual content very quickly, we help them do that. Is it a competitive space? Um, there's definitely a, a handful of tools that do this from simple screenshot. There's numerous Chrome extensions that do this. There's old tools like Jing and Sketch uh, that Evernote acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a handful of new companies that are trying to combine and, and consolidate all these different tools. So, I mean, if what we're basically doing is combining things like Sketch and Jing into as well as, you know, QuickTime, screen recording, and then a tool like maybe Giphy, all in one encapsulated. So yeah, there's a bunch of different services and tools that do what we do. Uh, We just try to bring it together into one workflow that's, you know, easily accessible and and relatively inexpensive. So I'm looking at your pricing page now. It is actually pretty inexpensive where $8 a month and a team is $9 per user per month and business is $17 per user per month. So pretty pretty reasonably priced yeah and that's and that's on purpose i think what we know and what we've seen is that everyone at a company 
can and does use it. You know, we have companies where we literally have 80, 95% penetration where every user across every department is using the product. And we don't want to make it so that it's something that it can only be used by marketing for a hundred or $500 per user per month. Uh, so I think what we've tried to do is look at tools like Asana and Slack and Trello and say, this is great for everybody. It can be really useful in your role and, and make it available and ubiquitous for them. Are you guys all based in the Bay area or you're a distributed team or what's your team structure? Yeah. So I think early on we started, uh, we we're very much a you know local team in San Francisco. As we grew the business, I think we've added folks across the globe. So, you know, we have folks in Canada, folks in uh, Mexico, and then also in uh, Poland. So I think what we've been able to find, and, and I, I don't know how many companies typically do this. Maybe it's a lot, but we've been really fortunate that really fantastic, enthusiastic, and passionate people who have used our product and really loved it have said, hey, can I come help you build that? So in our, in our Mexico office, for example, where we have about eight engineering and product folks, the first iOS developer that came to us, he said, hey, I've been using your product for a while. I'm a former one login engineer. I love it. Can I help you build it? And then he happened to refer a friend that referred a friend that referred a friend. And then all of a sudden we had this fantastic team in a place that I think Silicon Valley doesn't really think about, which is outside of the Bay Area. I think um, that's such a first prize to get people that are passionate about your product and uh, wanting to come work for you. Phil, Phil Libin from Evernote fame tells a, a story about when the business was about to run out of money in the very, very early days. And he was about to actually close the product. And he sent an email out to the users. And one of the users, I think in Sweden or in Europe somewhere, emailed back and said, hey, don't close the thing. I'll drop 500K into it if you keep on going and give me some equity. And of course, the rest is history. So amazing things can happen from your user base if you just hang in there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I actually would, I would echo that with CloudApp, not in terms of the shutting down part, but you know, as, as far as we've been able to hire really fantastic people from our user base, we've actually been able to raise the majority of our investments so far, you know, albeit uh, still, still small, but the money that we have comes from users, enthusiastic users who, who put a lot of sweat equity as well as uh, dollars into the business because they loved it so much and they wanted to make sure it stayed around. And it's helped us go from that sort of formative seed stage into that, that next evolution. I think that's what's so great around, dare I call it, consumer products. I mean, it's not really, uh, you know, your product similar to ours where it's it sort of bridges a little bit consumer and enterprise. But I guess products where you've got a direct contact with the end user, they will drive a lot of your development, which is what we found at Managed as well, as opposed to, I guess, the enterprise product where the person in a bank using a Oracle database or whatever, it's so, so many degrees removed away from the people developing the product that that feedback will probably, you know, never trickles back. But if you've got a direct line, boy, they can really drive your product development in wonderful ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can have both effects. One of them is that you get a endless fire hose of feedback and information because you're so close to the user and they feel like you're so accessible to them, which can be great and it also can be detrimental and dangerous to your business. So I, I know that a lot of people look to guys like Steve Jobs and uh, Henry Ford and say essentially like, I'm going to design the future and I'm going to feed it to you. And then you also have your customer base who advises you and encourages you to kind of do the right thing. And I think you have to strike a balance between both of those. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that's there's, there's the Henry Ford phrase of if I would have asked for people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. You know, <laughs> that, that always has to be kept in mind as well, that sometimes 
sometimes we know better than our, our users, sometimes we don't. And we've got to, and the art is knowing when which is which, and we have to stay humble to that. But um, we definitely need to stay tuned into both. Scott, tell us uh, your, your customer acquisition strategy. I mean, some people who listen to this podcast have their own small businesses, or they're trying to get something going. What has worked for you guys and what hasn't worked? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's, uh, it's one that we're still figuring it out. I would say that there's basically been you know, a handful of different directions that we've taken. One of them that's been really useful and successful has been riding the coattails of other giants and successful companies. Mm-hmm. So what I mean in that is that we've built really fantastic integrations with companies like a Zendesk or uh, an Atlassian Jira. And essentially what we do is we go into their marketplace, we build something that's great, and uh, we make the feature and the functionality of that super useful for the customer. And we do our best to get companies like Zendesk and Jira to care about us, whether that's by going to their conferences, uh, working with them on you know, content, but very much working within that ecosystem has been very successful for us. I think the other customer strategy that's, that's also been useful, you know, both challenging and interesting is sim- similar to those integrations, but it's just taking advantage of the app marketplaces. So in our case, we have a Windows app in the Windows 10 store, we have a uh, Mac app in the Mac app store, and then we'll soon have a uh, Chrome extension in the, the uh, Chrome marketplace. And you know, we, we've been able to add hundreds, you know, thousands of more signups every month. The other unique, interesting strategy that we have is more as a result of the product. Uh, and I would actually say that you know, if you look at something like the uh, Pareto principle, that 80-20 rule, we get a huge amount of user signups essentially that come as a result of people using CloudUp. So the way that CloudUp works is you, let's say, create a screen recording of a bug. You put that bug as a short link into a tool like Jira or Trello or even put it on Twitter. Somebody clicks it, reviews it, and they say, wow, this is pretty cool. I would love to be able to do this myself. And we have a little modal there that uh, encourages you to sign up. Essentially, I think it's marketplaces and then building the functionality into the product that's really good so that people are encouraged to share it. And we, I feel like we have a unique you know, position there. Uh, the things that haven't worked very well, I don't know if I want to say they haven't worked well, but it's, it's more uh, we're still figuring out how to do them better, is, for example, um, you know, I love Facebook and I'm happy to give them my money because I own their stock, mm-hmm. but it's taken us some time to figure out the best strategy there. So we've used things like uh, lookalike audiences to do targeted ads, based on the similar profile of a customer. And we've gotten really high CPAs for, for those uh, acquisitions. But that was based on bad content, bad images, you know, the, the wrong messaging. And we've spent weeks and months uh, working on this. And we created a, a short, essentially 30-second video with captioning that really captured what we did. And we dropped the CPA from 80 down to $15 per user. So I think uh, it takes time, it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of focus to keep working through it. And, and you take that hunch that you have and also like all the feedback other people have given you and you see if you can make it work. At your price point, do you guys ever do outreach or pounding the pavement to companies? I mean, it's, it's a very high cost of sale if you need to do that, but I'm just curious. Yeah, we do, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. we, you know, we, relative to all the other efforts that we have, uh, it's relatively small in terms of uh, people and invested money. But we know, for example, that product engineering designers, uh, they don't tend to like to get cold emails and cold calls. So while we try talking with those folks briefly, uh, we know that we have more 
a higher likelihood of engaging with them on certain platforms, marketplaces, and integrations. On the, on the other hand, I think we've had better success when we've said, okay, we know that there's a director, a, a leader of a technical support team. We do some cold outreach to them, share some really good content, case studies, you know, messaging with them. I, I think in that case, we'll find a company with a couple hundred employees, a couple hundred support reps, and we'll you know focus on getting a, a, a trial or pilot. Um, that's been the approach on some of the more outbound traditional sales, as well as some of that marketplace stuff. So yeah, I think both are really important. One thing that we've especially learned just doing the more traditional sales approach is that you get feedback much more quickly on how bad or how good your messaging is and how well or how badly you you resonate with, with that person or that persona. Uh, we've experimented over the years. I mean, we also... A relatively cost-effective product. Our pricing starts at twelve dollars, so not too far from from you as well. And what we found in the face-to-face is we've we've hosted parties with some guest speakers in in New York. We uh, put together a great party and tons of pizza and four guest speakers, and we just charged ten ten bucks for for people to buy a ticket, and we got tons of users and in there, and that was a lot of fun as well. And and people love seeing the face behind products they love as well, so they really enjoyed that as well. And I and I did as an experiment. Um, when I was traveling a bit about the, around the U.S., we, we geo-targeted a message on our app saying, hey, would you like to meet the managed Flutter CEO? Fill out this form. And quite a few people in the different jurisdictions filled it out. And they were obviously managed Flutter users. And um, I managed to have great coffees and lunches and, and say, hey, how are you using our product? And what would you like? And I, I met all these great users all over the country that, that um, fed back into the product and the relationship. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to try different things and, and be innovative. But I think um, it, it's a real hard reality of how difficult it is to get brand visibility if I, to be honest, I, I mean, Kate, uh, my co-host was, you know, she, she helped organize this, the chat and interview and, um, and made me aware of the product, but I hadn't heard of the product and I'm someone that spends half my day screenshotting shit, you know? <laughs> so the fact that I haven't bumped up against your product and not to say I'm the be all and end all and need to know about all the products, but great product that I've just never bumped up against. So it's tough to get, you know, brand visibility out there. It's a lot of work. It's a grind and it's a, it's a, a noisy environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's also really easy to raise money that you then immediately put into a marketing agency, a creative agency, or an ads campaign where the results are not clear and you've wasted your money. Mm. And it sounds like you guys have been very thoughtful about how you spend your money. And I think we've tried to be the same way. Interestingly, you know, I love your point about traveling around, visiting the cities, talking with your users. Um, one advantage just, you know, it sounds like you have the same is when we go to New York or Washington, D.C. or Seattle or Texas or wherever we are, we use our internal you know, database of users, find local uh, folks and say, hey, we're going to host an event, put it up on Meetup. And then you know, we fill 30 to 40 percent of the seats with those people, have great substantial conversations and learn things that we're shocked by. And we build a better product. Plus, and I think what's even better is you get these user stories from these fantastic people who, um, you know, I, I talked with somebody, we're going to write a story in this, so I won't go too much, but she was a former teacher who became, you know, her team's best-selling, I mean, by far, uh, sales rep. And I, you wouldn't get that unless you went out and met your, your customers. I think um, my favorite thing is when I see users using our product in a way that we actually didn't anticipate. You know, some of our biggest use cases were actually, I mean, when we created 
managed but it was actually to clean up your twitter account not to actually it wasn't specifically to grow your twitter account and then people started using it as a as a tool to actually manage and and grow your account in the right way and that was totally serendipitous and i i guess that's the that's the advantage of just just building something and putting it out there and iterating on it. Um, I, I mean, Facebook even, I mean, it was started as a, as a university equivalent for the physical book, right? And now it's, look at all the things it is now. So evolving products is definitely one of the exciting parts of, of, of working on these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one other thing to add is that, you know, if you, if you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg, just to kind of reinforce your point, it's when he started the business, the idea was I want to put up a picture with a name and maybe a small bio and essentially make it easy for my, my class to see that. And you, now you look at it, you've got things like WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook and Messenger that are all diverse products serving diverse audiences. He's built an empire on that. And I think more importantly, he's been there at that helm kind of focused on getting the company through every stage and being very iterative. So I think like to your point earlier about being a founder, a creator, somebody who's building something is you really just have to be willing to continue to plug along and be really thoughtful about what you're doing the whole time. And also just realize it's just really, really, really hard. And uh, it's, it's something that um, I think a lot of people misunderstand about entrepreneurship. It's, it's not easy. There's great rewards, not necessarily financial. Uh, a lot of it is the fact that you feel like you've formed this thing out of a ball of clay. Uh, and I think he and it sounds like you guys at Managed Flutter are also, you know, seeing and experiencing that same thing. Yeah, definitely the, the difficult parts. Uh, I can certainly, it needs to be a bit of a calling. But um, yeah, it's a, we, we're all lucky to work in a fantastic industry and be part of this, this fantastic, you know, the shifts and the changes and um, the fact that we can build businesses. Um, I mean, we, uh, I'm looking out over Atlassian's offices as we speak their HQ in Sydney and um, you know two guys at university built this product now with a market cap of I think it's about 10 billion dollars or so their market cap which is probably you know heading towards the market cap of Twitter which is is quite it's quite remarkable to think about those those companies are almost at the same market cap a company that was bootstrapped for for, for most of its evolution uh, is it's the same influence of a company where the 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 u.s president uses as his, his megaphone so that's the industry we're in and we're very lucky to to be a part of that yeah I, I definitely agree very lucky to be part of this scott smith thank you so much for joining us we'll put the links to cloud app so scott's the vp of sales at cloud app if you do screenshotting um, which i think we all do and you involved in product development um, it really looks like a great tool i'm going to i'm going to give it a whirl so to check out cloud app it's a great price point and we'll put all the links to the show notes and um, and scott's details as well if you want to be in touch with him scott thanks so much for your time today thank you so much it's a pleasure talking to you guys the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog use check dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors broken links and broken images all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. <coughs>
really interesting, Kate, getting someone who's been on the inside of Facebook and uh, some of our discussions around Facebook. Um, as I as I mentioned to Scott, uh, you know, they clearly doing a huge amount right mm. and um, have some incredibly smart people there. And we spoke about Cheryl Sandberg and, and the work that she's done there. And uh, I've read her book, Option B, which is a fantastic book. Have you heard it? You must have heard about a book, Option B. Yeah, I've heard about it. I haven't read. I've only read uh, Lean In. Okay, I haven't read Lean In. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, she's smart. She's, she's Very smart. smart. She, she gives you a lot of – she's articulate and clear and Option B is uh, – uh, fantastic, and um, yeah, I've actually tr- I actually loaded cloud. I, I installed Cloud App. Yeah. After the chat, I, I used another product which um, was also pretty good. But actually, since I installed the new version of Mac OS, somehow my browser everything's been sort of messed up, and I had to reinstall a whole heap of stuff. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll just install Cloud App. Mm. I like it. Yeah, it's really good. I like I, it. Um, I'm not sure where I found it or whether Joe found it. I'm not too sure, but it's really good. Like you crop out videos, crop out images. Um, you can even make short GIFs all from inside. Like it's sort of an app on your computer. So yep. it's not limited to Chrome, which was sort of the tool I was using before was a Chrome extension. So you could only use it inside Chrome. Now I can, with Cloud App, I take, a, you know, screenshots of any window. Okay, my interesting. Computer, yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, most of my screenshots are doing Chrome, but yeah, you're right. Sometimes, sometimes there's probably a use case for not in Chrome. Mm. For me, there is like with designs and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm always sending, flicking things to devs and stuff like that out of Photoshop or Sketch or things like that. Yeah, interesting. So if you're looking, I mean, we all spend our lives taking screenshots. I remember in the old days with DOS machines, that was really complex to take screenshots was something mm. that was uh, there were th- third party programs and it was just yeah really now the world is is based on <laughs> I mean the press half of the press is screenshot people screenshot controversial tweets in case people delete like them, them. Mm. Um, same with Facebook they screenshot and hang on to stuff and it's mm. it's um it's you know with people that 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 use um these graphical user interfaces of today, it all seems so easy, but what's been so interesting is actually seeing the evolution where we come from, um, you know, the DOS-based text only Mm. and how doing things like screenshots were really, really tricky because it wasn't at its at its heart you know did, did you ever use dos based machines no <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have the pleasure and now you don't nope. use linux based command line nope. um either no nope. so <laughs> went from i don't even know what it was just a pc one of the big chunky you know the beige it was sort of beigey yeah. colored yeah. yeah that was our first computer why did they choose beige i'm not sure it's such an ugly color it's sort of trendy on walls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. They've definitely gone away from it now. Everything is silver, black, white. But, yeah. Yeah, that was our first computer at home. And then I got a Asus notebook, I think it was, in high school that I used for my HSC. And then ever since I've been on Apple Macs. Yeah. No looking back. No looking back. Same. I've been on Mac for, for quite a while and uh, I love the stability of it. I think I think PCs have improved a lot, but in the early days of PC laptops, oh, the crashing and everything was just mm. just an absolute absolute nightmare. But um, yeah, I screenshot all the managed Flutter shoutouts. 
We yeah. get quite a few every now and then. Someone, you know, maybe once or twice a day. Sometimes a bit more. We um, grateful to receive people saying nice things about our products, and I screenshot them. So I've got a whole folder filled with manage flitter shout outs cloud out can cloud app would help you with that too because they save the screenshots into like a cloud yep. based thing so you don't have to clutter your desktop and, yeah. screen yeah because that is the problem what i'd like to do is can you do it with cloud app can you expire screenshots as in put an expiry date on them to yeah. delete them um yeah. no because that's what I'd like to do is take a screen because sometimes I'm taking a screenshot just to email or to include in Slack, but I don't want to clutter up wherever screenshots are stored. You know, after a day, it can mm. just because every now and then I go through my folder with screenshots and just delete three quarters of them because some of them were just, you know, temporary to show some something to someone. That's true. That's true. You probably could. Um but not off the top of my head, no. CloudApp have been really smart with their integrations. So mm. they've got a, a Jira in Atlassian integration and one on Zendesk, I believe, as well, I heard him talking about. I've only used the Jira one, but it's actually quite good. keeps it all inside inside Jira and it's it basically pulls in the screenshots that you've put into the cloud and says, which one of these did you want to add to this story? And I say, oh, that one. So I don't have to open up images and find it on the desktop and all that sort of stuff. It's already all in there. So, with a bit of effort these days, you you know, if you get really organised, it's all about that, right? It's getting yeah. really organised, making all your system, your your Slack talk to your email, talk to your screenshotting software, and getting super organised with it, and mm. it it does help a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think to cloud app strengths, it would be their like their reach out and stuff. Like I started chatting to some of them on Twitter because I think I tagged CloudUp once. And then since then, they email me to ask me for their thoughts and feedback on the Jira integration. Um, they did the same with Joe as well. Um, and I think at one stage, I even got an email from one of the team members asking if I was going to be at the Atlassian Summit in San Diego. Mm -hmm. So somehow they figured out my location when I was in Whistler in North America and said, yeah, are you going to be there? The CEO wants to meet some users. From that smart pill. They hacked into that smart pill that Maybe. you take. <laughs> <laughs> no smart pills for Kate. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I thought that was really cool and the way they sort of reach out like that. And, and that's also how you got the interview with Scott was I tweeted him and he came back, yeah, for sure. So It's good. I mean, I think dialogue with the customers is so important and there's so much gold there. And these days it's so easy to have dialogue with your customers something that smaller businesses like like ourselves it's it's hard to get bandwidth to do that sometimes when you're putting out fires and things like that but uh, it's definitely something that we also just over the years it's we've tried to always up the ante on dialogue with the with customers the people using your product they always sitting on goldmine of information i mean think of when you when you travel on an airline right if someone would come to you and would say hey I want to chat to you about the, your experience. Someone from the airline came to you. You know, how was mm. how was the check-in? How was you know queuing up? How was in flight? The food you, you would you would probably have quite a bit to say about it, right? If I had a somewhat negative experience, yes. I think when people have experiences that don't go to their expectations, they have more to say. If it went smoothly, then they go, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it's it's something that I think. 
you know, how often have I been asked my opinion on products that I love or even products that I don't love or products that I use very, very, very regularly? Very seldom. No, you know? it's refreshing. It's refreshing. What I don't like is when you call up for customer service somewhere these days, right? Mm. And then they bombard the hell out of you about how did we do? Yeah, at the end. Banks are notorious for that. You know, on the phone, on text, on email. It's like, it's too much. It's, I can see what they're trying to do, but it's, it's really just too much. But in terms of being proactive and like if my bank called me up and said, hey, I'd love to come over for coffee for 15 minutes mm. and I'll just want to chat to you about, you know, sure. Yeah. No problem. They're almost better when they, which they still do, I know, but when they ring you out of the blue yeah. and say, yeah. have you got 15 minutes? I just want to talk in general. It's no. They've got a better, ch- no, well, they, I, well, to me, they have a better chance than when they try and tack it on the end of my issue. Yeah. So I ring them and because say. Because you're not in that headspace. Yeah. Like I've got, I've obviously got something to do. There's a problem that's stopping me and I want to get back to it, but you're asking me for how you went, you know, and how the experience was. Like I'm not really in the mood to do that. I just want my problem fixed and I want to go back to what I was doing. But if you ring me and I happen to be commuting or something like that and you just want to chat for 10 minutes, then yeah, you've actually got a better chance. Well, also social media monitoring and web monitoring is very important for your brand. Yeah. Right. So I use a product called Brand24 that crawls social media, crawls the web and when someone mentions Manage Flitter, it pings me into a Slack channel. Mm. Right, and so you really need to do that um, because it's that's gold in terms of feedback. Like yesterday, I shared—I'm sure you read in the Slack channel—I shared someone wrote a blog article about Manage Flitter, and it was mostly complimentary, but it was interesting that she she had misunderstood some of the feature sets and thinking that it didn't include scheduling posts, right, mm. and the paid plans, and it was. And it gave me the opportunity to reach out to her to explain it, but also the opportunity for us to think, are we missing something? Are we not communicating clearly? And I would have missed that. It was, she's an author. It's a sort of almost hobbyist blog. I would have never stumbled upon it, right? No, unless you were monitoring it. Unless you're monitoring it. So monitoring all your mentions and any mention on the web and on social and super easy to do. Yeah, Super, super it's easy true. to do and have it in a passive way just sitting there and and just pinging you. Even if you're a small business, I'm sure these days small, you know, locally you may get mentioned somewhere or something. It's, it's mm. worth, even if you don't get mentioned, at least you know, well, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to, you don't want to no. miss it if someone mentions you, right? It's true. It's true. And a lot of the time too, people tweet about good or bad experiences and not necessarily tag the company. They'll just use the words. Exactly. You know? so and if you're watching, you can... You know, gauge sentiment as well. You can miss it if they don't tag you, but they mention you. And sometimes people do. Sometimes they tag us, which is easier for us to see in Twitter or Facebook. But sometimes they'll just use the word manage flutter. And the only way that I see it is through my monitoring. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise I wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah, so it's we we can all learn from each other. We all do certain things better, certain things other companies do better, so we can all learn. Anyway, that's episode 109 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Please feel free to tweet us, email us. Um, you can email us at podcast.itsamonkey.com. If you want to be on the show, if you have ideas for guests, if you want to even promote your 
company, send us through 30 seconds. We call it the Startup Minute. We haven't had a few for a while. No cost. Just tell us a little bit about your startup. We'll link to it in the show notes. So thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Special thank you if you're the first time. Uh, listener subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app we also appreciate itunes reviews if you take one minute it helps uh, other people find our podcast and uh, we very much appreciate that so hope you have a good week and probably push out another podcast in about a week or so thanks for listening <laughs>